Today, I want to look at um, some of the stuff that Jesus said on a topic that's going to affect everybody in here. What Jesus said on a topic that really, if you, if you learn how to navigate through this properly, it's going to set you up for success in your life, success in business. It's going to set you up for success in your walk with God. And if you don't get it, the exact opposite is going to happen. It's going to fall apart. You're going to be limited and you're going to be capped. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're in a place where we can be everything that God has called us to be. Amen? So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus had to say on the topic of offenses. Being hurt. Mm, That's a big one, ladies and gents. If you've got your Bibles or your tablets, uh, go ahead and, and open them up to the book of Luke. Chapter 17, we're going to be reading from verse 1. I'm going to throw the New King James Version at you uh, on this verse this morning. All the notes for the service or the, the message today are available on the Bible app and you version. Uh, you can open that up and follow along with us this morning if you want to. Luke 17, 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Other translations word this differently, but if you look at the heart of what is being said in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is speaking about offenses and forgiveness and how to deal with that when you you encounter that with someone else. He says, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It's impossible to live life without dealing with some kind of offense. How many of you would say, with your life, you have either caused offense to someone, or someone has offended you or caused you to be hurt at some point in your life. Yeah, that's like 99% of the hands going up in here. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Every stage of life, every stage of life, you're going to deal with being offended, it seems like. Toddlers fight over toys, and they get aggravated and frustrated with each other. You go to kindergarten, and kids are fighting over crazy stuff on the playgrounds. You're going to get offended. Somebody's going to call you a booger face. I'm not a booger face. Take it back. No, you are. You're booger face, and your daddy's dumb, too. Now you got to fight. You talk about mama and daddy, that's an instant fight in the South, especially if you talk about mama. Offenses on every level. You get up into middle school, high school, you start dating. Your hormones kick in. You start giving that heart away to people that kind of want it, but then they tear it up and give it back to you. You're going to get hurt. When you enter into that love game that people get into, hurt and offenses are at every stage of life. If you're married, I guarantee you at some point in your relationship, your spouse has said or done something that's offended and hurt you at some point. Because when you love somebody and you make yourself vulnerable, you're more susceptible sometimes to being hurt. Because what they say and what they do carries more weight. Am I telling the truth? It's the truth. Um, so it's there. Hey, look, you could carry a child in your body for nine months, birth the most beautiful baby in the world, and give it enough time, and that beautiful, precious, sweet, little, cute, innocent baby is going to get on your nerves. You're going to get tired of waking up at 2 in the morning. You're going to get tired of changing poopy diapers. At some point during their life, that kid is going to say or do something to hurt you as a parent. You know, it, it's just amazing to me how that works. Like, we've got two girls, um, Abby and Hannah. Hannah's nine, Abby's three. And it, I, I love my kids. I'll say this. I love my children. I love my children with all my heart. And I know 
Every parent that's here, you love your kids with all of your heart. But when they're, when they're young, like, like mine are young, we, we all love our kids up to about 8 or 9 o'clock. At least we, I do sometimes. Like, I start struggling. By 8 or 9 o'clock. Why? Because that's bedtime. And daddy's done been through a long day. And I don't know if this happened with your house, with your kids, but it seems like you go through the same routine every night. You know, like kids will get you. There's only so many times you can listen to baby shark. Do, 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 do. There's only so many times you can listen to that before it starts getting you. There's only so many times you can you can listen to bubble gubbies. Oh, my gosh. Bubba, bubble, gub, gub, gubbies, bubble, bubble, bubble. Shut up. You know, it, the stuff that wears on you. And about bedtime every night, it needs to be shutting down. But sometimes the kids don't understand it needs to be shutting down. And they're running 500 miles an hour because they're fighting sleep and they're throwing every ounce of adrenaline that they got left in their little bodies that's staying awake for one more. I don't understand how when you're kids, all you want to do is stay up and go, 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 go. But when you get older, all you want to do is take a nap. You know what I mean? There's, there's a change there. So my kids wide open and then they, they turn into thirsty philosophers that sometimes get hungry. Around bedtime, can I have something to drink? You just had something to drink. But I'm hungry. You, you need to go to bed. Don't you love me? I'm hungry. Kid, I love you. That's why I haven't knocked you out right now. You need to go to sleep. That's, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, you need to go to sleep right now. Mom and Daddy need to go to sleep. And, but, okay, Daddy, yeah. Why do some people not like Jesus? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Here lately, Abby's been asking me philosophical questions. This is my three-year-old. Like, Daddy, why do I have to get spankings every night? Here's why you get spankings. But they hurt. I don't like them. I know. I don't like them either. You know, Daddy's trying to teach you to listen and, and understand parameters and boundaries and consequences to actions so you don't turn into a teenager and get into your early 20s and get loose on society and find yourself in jail. You know, she doesn't understand that at three years old, so I'm trying to break it down. Every night, it's the same thing. Can I get an amen from the parents? You know what I'm talking about. It can get on your nerves sometimes. Every stage of life, there are going to be offenses from people that we know, people that we don't know, and how we deal with them, how we deal with them, how we process them, whether they're petty or they're major, has a huge impact on our walk with God. A huge impact on our walk with God. Because if there's a bullseye on anybody out there, there is a bullseye for the enemy to key in on, on somebody who has been hurt and offended by somebody in their lives. Because here's the game that the enemy likes to play. He likes to play a little game called separation, isolation, and destruction. Separation, isolation, and destruction. This is what he likes to do in our lives. He likes for us to get hurt and offended over something so that a separation occurs in our relationships or in our walk with God or in our church attendance or in our involvement. There's a separation that takes place. Kelly, can you come up here and help me real fast? That's... This is Kelly. She's my wife, and you look good this morning to me. You look hot. I love it. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to stay on track with the message this morning. But this is what will happen is that Kelly and I will have a great relationship, and then there will be something that will happen. I'll leave the dishes out. The laundry was folded and on the bed, and it gets knocked off. Or 
I wasn't supposed to watch the kids, and now I'm supposed to watch the kids or some kind of crazy stuff like that we deal with all the time. Something will come up, and we'll have an offense in our relationship. And what happens, what the enemy wants to do is come in through that offense, boom, and just separate us. Now we got a rift in our relationship. Now we're separated, and we become isolated because now it becomes a power struggle on who's going to forgive who. And it doesn't just play out in marriages. You can have a seat. It plays out in relationships, too. You just walked in here. Can you help me out, bro, since you're fresh from moving? Pastor Jeremy and I, we, we work really good in ministry for the most part, you know. But at the end of the day, Pastor Jeremy and I are two different people. We got different ideas sometimes on what to do. And we usually end up on solid ground on how to do, you know, we, we communicate really well. But what will happen is, Pastor Jeremy will say, hey, we need to get rid of the burgundy chairs and, and bring in the gray chairs. Or bring in a different color chair because we've had these forever. And I'll say, man, I love these chairs. We've had them forever, which I don't. I hate these chairs. But he'll say, we'll disagree on the chairs. And what will happen is we'll get an offense over something like that. And there will be a separation in our relationship. And if we don't resolve it quickly, now there's going to be an isolation between the two of us where that hurt is going to begin to fester and grow and infect us. And it opens up the door for destruction to take place in our relationship. Because when there's separation because of an offense and there's isolation and time for that to fester and grow, the enemy always comes in and wreaks destruction in our relationship, in the ministry, and in our walk with God. Every time, that's how he operates. Give Pastor Jeremy a hand for helping me out this morning. That's what he does. Separation, isolation, and destruction is how he operates in our lives. And usually it's over small things. Usually it's over small things and petty things because small things over time build up into big problems, don't they? They build up into big problems. It's husbands and wives, they, they, they usually they don't have breakdowns in relationships because of major things. You know, like sometimes you'll see somebody cheat on somebody or, or something major happen, but usually it's because of disagreements about who's going to put the kid to bed. I just be real. It's your turn. I always do it. I know, but I got to do this. If you loved me, you would put our children to bed. Because it's not just my responsibility. I really got it. It's, it's over silly things like that. You know, if you loved me, you would help me clean up. If you loved me, you'd let me go hunting. You know, it's over silly things, like little power struggles and things in relationships. It's over small things. And usually big offenses happen because of unmet expectations. Unmet expectations are a breeding ground for offenses in our lives. Usually we expect somebody to perform some way or to do something for us, and they don't follow through or they fall short, and then we get offended and we get hurt about it. It happens in the business world all the time. Well, I thought you were going to follow through on that. You dropped the ball. There's an unmet expectation. Now I'm looking sideways at you because you let me down, and now we got broken trust. And if we don't fix that fast, that broken trust is going to fester and become something that's going to be a wedge in the relationship and eventually... And eventually destroy the relationship and damage the business and destroy the business over time. Because of unmet expectations, we get upset at the friend that didn't remember our birthday. Well, you're my friend. I expect you to do that. It's over. Like Birthdays are big, but in the big scheme of things, it's kind of a small thing. You know? Well, I figured I would get more than a card. You make $150,000 a year. I thought for sure 
you'd at least buy me a ticket or buy me something like pay for me to go to a spa or buy me tickets to the football game or something like that. I, you know, unmet expectations over trivial things all the time grow into larger offenses. Am I telling the truth? That's just how it works. Now, sometimes there's just major things that happen that are just cataclysmic events in our lives that mess us up and, and cause us to be hurt or offended because of something. Somebody just literally, a, a, a kid attacks your child. You know, that's, that's a legit thing. Um, but even in situations like that, major things where, um, you know, uh, in cases of, of molestation and rape and major legitimate things that would happen in our lives, there's still there's still the opportunity for us to release that to God and allow him to heal and restore and eventually find a place where we don't condone what happens, but we can forgive what happens so that we can move on in our walk with God. Because if we don't, we land in a place where we are separated, isolated, either from a person or eventually from God, and the enemy wreaks destruction in our lives because you can't walk around with an infection on the inside of you from hurt from something that's not healed and expect to function properly it's going to affect what happens in your life amen so this is going to be kind of a sensitive message and i know we're digging in nobody likes talking about hurt nobody likes talking about offenses nobody likes talking about this stuff because it gets right up in our business and we have to ask ourselves the questions am i forgiving am i overlooking offenses am i doing what i need to do to make sure my heart stays where it needs to stay in my relationship with god because at the end of the day that's what it's all about so jesus had a lot to say about this and i'm thankful for it because he didn't just tell us hey this stuff's going to happen he gave us a blueprint of what to do when these problems occur in our lives so we're going to look at some of that this morning matthew chapter 18 if you want to flip there Jesus gives us a great process on what to do if we have a problem with somebody else. How many of you would agree that when Jesus gives advice on something, it's probably the best thing to do? How many would agree with me on that? Yeah, Jesus is a pretty smart guy, so he gave pretty good advice. So I want to walk through this with you, and maybe it'll set some of us free this morning. Because what Jesus has given us to do here does not come naturally to us as people, we like to do the exact opposite of this sometimes. Um, if another believer sins against you, hop on Facebook and let everybody know that they've done something to mess you up. Sorry, I probably got the wrong translation. Hang on a second. 18, starting at verse 15. Yeah. If another believer sins against you, um, Hit them up on Messenger and let them know what they did to you and then unfriend them quickly so they can't respond. And block them. Doesn't say that. If somebody sins against you or offends you, it says to send them text messages to let them know that you're mad at them and then just let the relationship end. Isn't that what it says? Y'all reading something different than what I'm reading this morning? Oh, it says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. 
Now, I don't think I had to get into like the Greek translation of what's happening here. Jesus says if somebody, if you've got a problem with someone, and really this applies to not just a believer but a non-believer too or somebody that you're working with, because if you've got a problem with somebody, if there's a rift or there's a disagreement, you go to them and talk to them about it. Kill it fast. Talk about it. Be mature. Get to where you can look them in the eye, not make some weird, obscure reference to something that happened in your life on Facebook where everybody reads it and knows what's going on and knows what you're talking about, but you didn't just put any names in there, but you just wanted to get it out so you feel good about letting everybody know about how you were hurt and done wrong. That's not what the Bible says to do. Jesus says, go to them and talk to them privately about what's happened. And if the person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Now, that's the goal. Win the person back. The goal is to save the relationship, right? The goal is to save the friendship. The goal is to save the business relationship. The goal is to save the dating relationship or the marriage or what. The goal is to win them back and settle the issue. Listen to me. Not prove that you're right and they're wrong. The goal is not to get in there and give 50 reasons why they're a moron and you're right. How many of you would respond well to somebody sitting down and saying, listen, I got a problem with you and here's 50 reasons why? You're going to want a chance to defend yourself a little bit, huh? But if you come in and you say in a mature way, you walk in and you say, listen, I know you probably didn't mean to do this, but I want to talk to you about something that you did that, that it just bothered me. And it might just be me. But could you hear me out for a second and just let me tell you, when, when you did this, this is how it came across, and this is, this is what I'm feeling. And I don't want anything to be between you and me. I don't want anything to damage our work relationship or our relationship or our friendship. Um, man, I just wanted to let you know, man, it really bugged me when you did that. Most people are going to say, hmm, well, I, I'm sorry. If they're mature, most people aren't going to fight back if you come to them in a way that's not going to make them put up the rockets and the torrent guns and the bazookas and the tanks to try to defend themselves. It's a lot to do with how you approach somebody. If you go to someone privately and say, I love you, and it may just be me, but when you did, when, you know, it, when, 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 when I fold up the laundry and I put it on the bed and and you're in here, and the kids come through, and, and, and you're not paying attention, and the kids knock all the laundry off the bed. I, I put a lot of work into that. And I know it's probably a trivial thing, but could you help me out and help me watch the kids and help me make sure that the kids don't kick the laundry off the bed after we've washed it and folded it and, and it's getting ready to go? What, what you don't need to do is, well, why did you stop with folding the laundry and put it on the bed? I get what you're saying, but if you just put the laundry up where it needs to go, you know what? You're right. I'll do what I can do to help you out. Sorry about that. That's it. It doesn't even have to go any further than that. Go to them privately and talk to them. That's, that's where stuff happens, though, in relationships. It's silly stuff like that. Jesus says, go to them privately Talk to them because the goal is to win that person back, not prove your case. But if you're unsuccessful, if it doesn't work, then he says, then go back, maybe with a friend. Go back and talk to him again. 
Maybe go back to some, we don't to them with somebody who's a partner in the business and, and, and go at it again and say, look, man, I know we talked about this before. It didn't really work out that well. I wanted to come back to you again because, look, I just want you to know, I got no agenda. I'm not trying to say that, that you're 100% wrong in this. Maybe you are. But I, my point is not to, to make you out to be wrong. I just want this to be resolved so that we can go on and be productive in, in our relationship or in our business partnership. And if it works out, then it works out because the goal is to win them back, not bring somebody in. See, this is where gossip kicks in real quick. Um, when we try to talk to somebody or confront somebody, and maybe we do it in the wrong way and it blows up, now because it doesn't work out the right way, instead of handling it correctly and bringing, maybe bringing somebody in that can help bring resolution to the situation, we start telling everybody in the community about it, and it gets messed up. And the goal stops being to win that person back. It begins to become proving your case to build the army that's going to fight with you against the, the joker that has caused all this problem in your life. And, and, and we get into a lot of trouble there. So Jesus says, hey, if they won't listen to you, maybe bring somebody into it. If they won't listen at that point, and they won't listen, then in a church setting or in a Christian setting, like here at LifePoint, then he says, take your, church, your, your case to the church. Like if you can't get it worked out between the two of you, then you pick up the phone and you call pastoral staff and you say, hey, look, um, this is going on. We can't get it worked out. It's becoming a problem. This is what the Bible says to do. Would you be willing to sit down and talk to us and, and maybe meet with us to see if we can't work this out? I guarantee you, I'll do my best to, to work it out where we can sit down and, and talk things through to try to save the relationship on any level. Okay, is this making sense? Yeah. This is what Jesus says to do. Most people don't do this, but this is what Jesus says to do. Basically, he's saying, do everything you can possibly do to save the relationship. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. In other words, he means if they won't work with you at that point, then there's probably not going to be reconciliation in that relationship, so you're probably going to have to move on. But, Here's where we mess up a lot of times. We'll cut off a relationship and say there can't be reconciliation with it, but we're going to carry the hurt of what happened along with us. And that's where we miss it a lot of times in church world. Because sometimes, sometimes people just don't want to work with you. Sometimes people just don't want to listen. Sometimes people are so stubborn and so full of pride, they don't want to give an inch in a situation. And when that happens, the Bible says, okay, no reconciliation here. We're going to move on. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to forgive them. And that doesn't mean that we stop loving them. Are you hearing me? Doesn't mean that you stop loving them. Getting kind of quiet in here. I know this isn't popular, but this is what Jesus says to do. Because it's so much more fun to say, screw you, I don't need you, I'm better than this, and then stomp on out the door and recruit your army and walk out. And just, I told them how I felt about it, because that's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to walk out with the upper hand, at least according to the world standards. But Jesus says, nah, my rules are a little bit different. Because Jesus is more concerned about protecting our heart. Because here's what I know. I've done that I'm better than you. 
I've done the I don't need you. I've done the yeah, you're a sorry loser, blah, 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 and walked out destroying them so that I could feel better about myself leaving the situation. And I know that having done that, my heart was still dead on the inside. My heart was still hurting. And I walked around with the infection of unforgiveness in my life because I might have made myself feel good about what I said, but what I said and what I did separated myself, isolated myself spiritually, and opened up the door for destruction in my life spiritually. So even if that doesn't work out, even if the relationship doesn't work out, we still, we still love and forgive even if there's not reconciliation to it. I love uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. Um, Jesus is talking about forgiveness and, and Peter comes up, this, this is the question I would have asked. Like, I love this because this is just a raw, honest question. Uh, Peter came up to him and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Like he's looking for a number and he throws something out like, what, seven times? Like seven times, would that be a good one to forgive somebody in a day? Like how often should I do it? In a, in a day, seven times, would that be, that? like he's looking for that legal out. You know, okay, I did seven. You just jacked up eight times. We're done. Jesus said, I can let you go. You know, I love the humanity in that. Because there have been times, like in my life, where I'm like, Lord, if I got to forgive this joker one more time for doing this, I just don't, I just don't know if I can do it. Y'all ever been that way? Like with people and friends, a lot of times it's family. We're getting close to holiday season, so this is really going to help us out. Uh, some of us rolling into to Thanksgiving and into Christmas. And I pray that you got peace and unity in your family. I know that sometimes that doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, hopefully this will help you as we roll in to that season. By the way, Christmas doesn't start after Halloween. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is personal preference time for Pastor Josh. You have to bear with me. That one just flew by, and I grabbed it, and we're going to talk about it for a second. What in the world happened to Thanksgiving? What in the world happened to fall and Thanksgiving? Now, I get it. How many of you are Christmas super freaks? You love Christmas. Yeah. All right. How many of you are with me, and you're like, Thanksgiving matters? Like, yeah, okay. I, okay, I get it. Thanksgiving matters. I get it. Christmas music is fun. Like, I know people that have been playing Christmas music for two weeks now. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? I get it. Like, Christmas for us growing up always started after Thanksgiving. Look, if that's your thing, hey, more power to you. More power to you. But man, what about the pilgrims? What about heritage? What about family time around the table? What about keeping the turkey population in check? You know, what about important things like that? You know, Apple pie and pumpkin pie and some kind of pie and cake this and this that and it's just fun family stuff. It's, no, we don't do that. Jingle bell, jingle bell. It's November 2nd and we're jingle belling already. I just, mm, that's just me. You know, if that's you, more power to you. Please don't not come back to church because I said that. If you're a Christmas person, more power to you. But, um, but anyway, what was, where was I at? Oh, Peter was looking. Uh, for an out on this, and he's like, seven times, that would be, that would be good, seven times, that would be good, and, and Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, some translations say 77, or um, 70 times seven, or 77 times, I think some translations say, Jesus says, 70 times seven, I had to do the math on that, you ever done the math on that, 
That's crazy. I had to sit down and figure it out. Because, like, for me, sometimes I'm like Peter, and I'm like, I just want to know. Like, how often am I going to have to give some grace to these jokers in my life, you know? And so I put up my little calculator on my phone. I was like, okay, 70 times, 70 times. So that's 490 times. 490 times a day that we're supposed to forgive somebody. And I thought, okay, that's a lot. There's 24 hours in a day. The nerd Josh has got to know. Okay, just so I know. So 490 divided by 24, that's 20 times. 20 times an hour? That breaks down a little over 20 times an hour. That breaks down to like right at every three minutes. Dang. Like I don't even get to be huffy for a little while. Like, I can be huffy for three minutes, according to this. Like, I got three minutes to go, And then I got to say, Lord, Lord, (laughs) thank you for three minutes to be huffy. But I just want you to let you know I'm forgiving them right now for for what they did. And we're going to start another three minutes and hopefully... Nobody does anything to, to offend me in the next three minutes. It's like every three minutes, are you serious? And what Jesus is saying here isn't like the legality of every three minutes. He's just saying, just keep on forgiving them. Just keep on forgiving them. That's every three minutes per person. I don't have enough stopwatches to keep up with that with people, so it's a whole lot less complicated. Instead of keeping track of how long we have to be offended over stuff, to just let it all go. Let it all go. I mean, let's be honest. In 10 years, a lot of the stuff that we're so aggravated about today isn't going to matter. Yeah. I mean, can you think about stuff that you were just aggravated about 10 years ago that's bothering you today? Probably not too many people have still got something that's lingering. Time just kind of goes by, and the little stuff just kind of works its way out. You don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. I love this. I love this. Jesus says, no, nah, you, you got to keep on forgiving them, so it's not just about trying to work it out, and maybe it works out or it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, you still got to forgive them. You still got to forgive them because we weren't built to carry around offenses and to carry around unforgiveness in our lives. We weren't made to hold all that stuff. In fact, Jesus went on on the tail end of this verse, and he begins to tell a parable to, to Peter and the disciples, and he talks about, and if you've got a church background, you've probably heard this a thousand times. He tells us this story about a guy who had a huge debt in his life. And he owed 10,000 talents worth of money. And he goes in before the king, and, and the king says, Hey, you owe this money. You're going to have to pay for it. I'm going to throw you into prison. You're going to pay for it by being tortured. And the guy just throws himself at the mercy of the king and, he says, and the master. And he goes, Look, I'm sorry. I got the debt. I'll do everything I can to pay it back. Please have mercy on me. And the master, he, he forgives him the debt and lets him go back out. So the guy walks out debt free and he, come, he comes across another guy who owes him, the Bible says, a hundred denarius. And he says, hey, you owe me money. So he grabs him and chokes him and beats on him a little bit and says, you're going to have to pay me back. And the people saw what happened. They went back and reported to the master. And the master said, hey, I forgave you this huge debt. 
but you're holding this guy accountable for a pathetically small debt. Because you didn't forgive him, I'm not going to forgive you. So now you're going to have to go through the penalty of what I was going to throw at you before. We read through that, and a lot of the translations in the Bible say that one guy in modern currency, uh, the guy that owed 10,000 talents, owed like a million dollars or a couple of million dollars, something like that. And the guy that owed um, the 100 denarius just owed a few thousand dollars. I didn't realize until recently that's incredibly inaccurate. You want me to walk through this with you just to give you an idea of the point that Jesus was trying to make here? Like millions versus thousands, that, that's a pretty good discrepancy in what's being forgiven here. But what Jesus was saying here is it goes a little bit deeper than that. <clears throat> so I'm going to throw some history at you for just a few minutes. So y'all bear with me, okay? So a denarius was equivalent to about a day's wage for average income in the time. So the guy that owed... 100 denarius, a smaller amount, owed the guy about 100 days' worth of work. On the Jewish calendar, with like Sabbaths and holidays and festivals and all that stuff, the Jewish calendar ran, um, a person would have to work right about 300 days in the year. So this guy owed about a third of a year's salary to this person. A third of a year, so about four months' worth of salary. This is amazing to me. The guy that owed 10,000 talents, according to this pay system, average income for the day, listen to this. You know how many denarius it took to make one talent? 6,000. 6,000 denarius equaled one talent. Now, before you get lost in the numbers, just stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So... Um, 6,000 equaled one talent. So if you do the math, for one calendar year, somebody making an average income was going to make 300 denarius. It would take 20 years of labor to pay for one talent. So the dude could work for 20 years and pay for one talent and, and paying this king back, he would only owe 9999 more. Are you getting a picture of how much money this guy owed? He would have to work for 200,000 years to earn enough money to pay this guy back if he gave him every cent that he earned. That's insane. Coming into perspective a little bit more. 200,000 years? That is insane to me. So in, in, in our currency today, what the guy who owed the smaller amount would have owed is somewhere between eight and, and maybe $12,000, give or take. If you look at average income for somebody, people make more, people make less, but average income, somewhere between eight and 12 grand, the smaller amount was. Are you ready? Are you ready for the conversion of what this guy that owed 10,000 talents would have been today? It's not millions. $7.4 billion. How do you run up a debt, 
personally. Like I get the national debt where it's crazy and it's going because we got a bunch of jacked up politicians spending more money than's coming in. I get that. But how do you personally rack up? You've got to be the world's worst gambler of all time. Like you've got to have no business since $7.4 billion is what it would have equated to today. So Jesus is saying, this guy was forgiven $7.4 billion, and then he turned around and he looked at somebody that owed him somewhere around eight to ten grand and said, you owe me, you're going to pay up now. Isn't that what we do sometimes, though, in life? When we look at the unforgivable debt that Jesus has forgiven us of. All the sin, all the mistakes, all the stuff we've done in our past knowing that we are never going to be able to pay the price for our own salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. Don't we sometimes walk in that kind of forgiveness and then turn around and look at somebody that creates like an eight or $10,000 offense in our lives sometimes and just demand that they pay for it, even though we've been forgiven for something that we can never repay? What is it in human nature that makes us do stuff like that? I don't get it. Jesus is just putting this into perspective, and he says, listen... In the same way, if you don't forgive people when they sin against you and when they do things to offend you, in the same way, this is how my Father is going to deal with you if you don't forgive people from your heart. Whoo! That doesn't look good on a Christmas card, does it? Emmanuel, God with us. No, it, it doesn't look good. Here's the deal. It's hypocritical of us. It's really hypocritical of us to deny others forgiveness that we expect to receive from God. When you think about it, it's hypocritical. And here's the thing. I know sometimes we can get hurt and it feels painful. Listen, I've been there. I've done that. Okay? I know behind every set of eyes in this room, there are stories and there are hurts and there are, there's, there are stories of pain and failure and then there's powerful stories of deliverance and healing from God. We've all got those stories. Look, I'm a dude who in about a year and a half, I'm a guy who lost a ministry, who lost a business, who lost a home, and who lost a child. I can talk hurt with you all day long. And I can talk to you about how jacked up the responses that I got from people that should have responded better to me going through those situations. People said some incredibly brutal things to me during that season. I had to walk through that. You know, I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like for friends to say one thing and then do another. I know what it's like. Look, I'm a pastor. I can stand up here and preach to you and bring you the word of God. And I can do it knowing that there's about 25 knives in my back while I'm doing it. I know what it's like because I put myself out there and I'm vulnerable. Listen, I'll tell you about a pastor. A pastor can never do enough. A pastor can never pray enough. A pastor can never preach right. A pastor can never be there enough. A pastor is always going to fail somewhere. And the reason why is because a pastor is human. All right? And there is an absolutely unreal expectation sometimes. And I'm not saying I shouldn't do my best. I do my best, but I know that I'm not always going to be there, and I know what it's like. And I talk to pastor friends all the time that get up and serve, and the point is you're just never going to make everybody happy. There's just always going to be somebody, somewhere, something you're just not able to get to, and a lot of times people respond the wrong way because of it. You know, I get it. I know. So if anybody understands what it's like to go through junk, you're talking to him right here. I understand it, but that does not give me or give you the right to look at those people and demand that 
that they walk under under our judgment and our wrath because of an eight or tw- it, it ends up being an eight or a twelve thousand dollar offense when we've been forgiven of about a seven point four billion dollar debt that we can never ever repay in our lives. It's hypocritical when you stop and you look at it from the big picture. When you take yourself out of the situation and look at it from a biblical perspective, it's petty. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be angry sometimes because the Bible says we can be angry and not sin. But the Bible also does say don't let the sun set on your wrath. So the point is you can be upset and it can hurt, but you have got to resolve the situation because if you don't, it begins to mess you up because we weren't designed to carry offenses and hurts. You guys still with me? We weren't designed to carry offenses and hurts. And here's what happens when you carry this stuff around. I wrote down seven characteristics of people that walk around carrying offenses and harboring unforgiveness in their lives. And I want to share these things with you briefly this morning. And the first one is this. Put number one up there. You have bursts of anger and rage. When you get hurt, when you get hurt and you don't allow it to heal, it's got to go somewhere. And most of the time, for people that are hurt and offended, it turns into anger and rage because you've got to have some place to put it. You've got to be upset about something because something's got to take the blame for what's going on. And you've got to be upset. You've got to let it out because it's going to build like a volcano inside of you. You know that uh, psychiatrists will say that most, in most cases of non-genetic depression that people deal with, People deal with it because of unforgiveness that takes form in anger and begins to emotionally deplete the person. They get on this emotional treadmill, and they just run and they 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 run, and and it's never resolved and it's never forgiven and it's constantly angry, and then they blow up from time to time. They run and they run and they run, and then emotionally they just get exhausted and they just shut down depression. Depression. So the second one is this. When you walk around with unforgiveness for a while, you become petty and emotionally impulsive. That means you get offended over everything. Everything that that person does that you've got a problem with is offensive to you. And not just them, society. Now you have officially become the victim. So everything that everybody does gets on your nerves and it offends you. And things that shouldn't hurt you deeply begin to hurt you deeply. And you respond way over the top emotionally at things that that just don't warrant the response. That makes sense? You become over the top emotionally. You just blow up and go nuts over absolutely nothing. The third one, you don't take responsibility for your feelings. How you feel and how you respond is no longer your responsibility. You feel the way that you feel because of what that person did to you. Now I'm doing what I'm doing because of what they did. And it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's their fault I'm mad all the time. It's their fault I'm hurt all the time. It's their fault that I fly off the handle all the time. It's their fault that I'm having a nervous breakdown. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. But the last time I checked, we had the power to choose how we respond to life and situations and circumstances. Amen? But when you harbor unforgiveness and hurt, this begins to happen. Fourth thing is this. You keep a running list of offenses. 
When you don't forgive, you don't forgive anybody. And you've got a running tab in the back of your mind of everything that everybody's done to you. And when somebody does you wrong, they go on that list. And you cut them off, and you don't want anything to do with them. So the fifth thing is this. <laughs> you replay the offenses over and over and over again. And you're always thinking about how that person or how these people did you wrong. It's there. It's constant. You know why? Because that unforgiveness is like cancer in your body. You got to get it out. You got to get it out or it's just going to feed and grow. The sixth thing people do is this. Oh, they gossip about people. They gossip about people that are hurt by other people that don't resolve it are always going to begin to run that person down in public and to, and to demean that person every time. They're not going to do anything to resolve the situation, but they're going to tell half the county about what the person did because they got to feel better about it somehow. Anything they can do but actually deal with how they feel personally, that's what they're going to do. And they'll gossip and they'll go. The last one, you can't see the person or hear about them without thinking of what they did. The moment you see them in public, it all comes flooding back. The moment somebody talks about them, all comes flooding back. At the board meeting, at the break table, at the dinner table, in conversation, at the party, the moment that name is dropped or that moment you see them, it all comes flooding back just like it happened a minute ago because it's not healed and it's not resolved. Now, I just read you a list of characteristics. Now, I want to give you in paragraph form what kind of person you become. Because, listen, here's a, here's a process. Separation because of the offense. Isolation because of the hurt. And then destruction in your life. This is the process that happens. So, I want to give you in paragraph form what this kind of person would look like if it was you or if it was me. You become emotionally unstable and explode in anger. You get hurt over virtually anything and overreact emotionally. You blame everyone for how you react to what they do because it's all their fault. You keep tabs on what people do and you never forget how they wrong you. It all gets replayed on a continual loop and brought back up. You gossip about people and demean them. And every time you see someone that's, wrong, that's wronged you, it's just like it happened all over again. Repeat the process. Is that the kind of person you'd love to hang out with? How many of you would love a best friend like that? Oh, I can't wait to hang out with somebody like that. I can't wait because I know I'm going to be on that list sooner or later, you know. And so you get isolated because nobody wants to hang out with a person like this because a person like this is a toxic person. You're carrying an infection around in you that has just made you toxic to other people. And the only people that are going to want to hang around you when you're like this are people just like yourself. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Toxic people always hang out with toxic people. People that aren't toxic, hey, I love you. There's too much drama going on. Uh, I love you. I'll pray for you. But no, you, we, we ain't hanging out a whole lot. Toxic people, oh, girl, I understand you're hurt. Let me just walk right through it with you right there. Bro, I understand. They shouldn't have done you like that. Toxic. Best buds. And you know what's going to happen? It's not going to be long before the two toxic people have a nuclear meltdown. Y'all see this play out, right? 
They flock to each other and then give them enough time. You know why? Because they get offended over every freaking thing because they're walking around with so much unresolved stuff in their lives. And the default mode is to blame other people and carry the stuff around. It's a ticking time bomb. It's just a matter of time. And when you get two volatile people like that together, oh, son, as a pastor, when you watch this happen, you set your clock and you know, okay, I got this much time before nuclear fallout that I'm going to have to take care of because of these two people because they're just going, boom, or these three people or these four people, boom, it's about to blow up if God doesn't intervene or something doesn't happen. Toxic people always attract to each other. Hurt people always attract to each other, and it creates uh, a perfect combination for destruction in lives. That's where the enemy wants us. Because the game, the game is separation, isolation, and then destruction. See, that's the game that's at play. Separation, isolation, and destruction over offenses and if we're not careful we'll never see it happening until it's too late because we get caught up in the emotional response to what happens in our lives and we don't see the bigger picture of how the enemy can come in and just kill us from the inside out because of unresolved offense and hurt i wonder how many relationships have died over the years because of that how many friendships have died over the years because of that Marriages, business partnerships, ministry partnerships over the years. Because people didn't just simply apply the words of Jesus and resolve it. We get caught up with pride. We get caught up with, with the hurt and the, the emotion. And I'm not delegitimizing the hurt because I've been there and I get it. But at the end of the day, we have to land on ground that's going to point us in the direction that God wants us to go. And the only path through that is forgiveness and an attempt to restore the relationship. What will happen is this. Kelly, if you will help me. Get Kelly, who's awesome. Kelly loves the Lord. Kelly wants to sing in the worship band. But Kelly, turn and face them. Stay right there. But Kelly can't sing. So Kelly goes to Pastor Shelley and she says, Hey, I believe God's called me to be on the worship team. And Pastor Shelley goes, That's cool, but you can't sing. <laughs> Hold on to that for me. And suddenly, Kelly gets hurt because of the response from Shelley. Pull that tight so they can see a string attaching you guys together. Now Kelly's attached to an offense in her past. Let's say, Kelly, I think I've got enough string for all of this. Let's hit you, my friend. Kelly and my friend here, we're going to run this between the two of you guys so this might get awkward. Have to bear with me. Let's say he gets involved in the children's ministry and starts slacking. Kelly has to call him out on it. He goes off and says a lot of bad stuff about Pastor Kelly. Now Kelly's got hurt from what he said, so now she's connected to him. And if she doesn't resolve it, it's never going to go away.
Kelly. I'm going to put a blank chair right here because let's say Kelly got hurt by somebody she dated in the past. And there's no need in talking about those jokers anymore. Amen? So as a husband, I'm going to say, yeah, blank chair. But Kelly's not, never gotten over that hurt and that disappointment. And so she's still tied to that incident. She's still tied to that hurt. You see what I'm doing here, right? You live enough life, and you can find yourself tied to people and offenses. Hold that, my friend. Over and over and over again. The friends that let you down. The people that weren't there when they should have been. People that gossip about you, slander you. Whoop, whoop. And you can find yourself for too long bound up and locked up, tied to people in the past, unresolved issues unresolved hurts because here's what I'm telling you this stuff never goes away until you release it it never goes away that hurt never goes away on its own until you release it so now Kelly's bound to all these situations and we could just go on and on and on and on bound and tied up to all these people and all these situations and God wants to do something in Kelly's life and God begins to speak to her I'm calling you over here and this is where I want you to be I'm calling you into a new level in your walk with me I want to show you a a new part of my heart so you can understand my love better I want you to step into that ministry that, that I've had on your heart for so long and God's calling and desiring for us to move into that place of freedom so we can fully understand his love and His forgiveness and His grace and the passion and the purpose and the hope and everything that Jesus died to give us. But Kelly's never going to be able to step into this because she's too tied to the past. She's too tied to the hurt. She's too tied to the offenses. What people have said, what people have done, and whether it was legitimate or not, whether it was a real painful experience or not, doesn't matter little things and big things she's carried with her and it's toxic and it's eating her up on the inside and she is never going to be able to do what God has called her to do or be who God has called her to be until she makes the decision to just let it all go because these strings that tie us to so many people Kelly's got them all right there in her hand. And at any moment, she can choose to let it go and move on. Let it go. That's what God wants us to do this morning. To let it go. To let it go. Listen, there are too many strings tied to too many things in this room today. 
there are too many issues. There's too, many, there's too much stuff that's happened to us that we have not processed and we have not let go of. And what God is saying to us today is it's time to just let it go and let him pour the healing. Let him pour the restoration. Let him do what he needs to do in our hearts to get us free and healed and restored like he desires for us to be because it's not God's will for any of us to carry this stuff around. See, we do this because we choose to hold on to it. God wants us to let it go this morning. Will you let it go? Bow your heads and close your eyes.